Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, to love you, to serve you, to be everything that you called us to be in this life. Thank you, Lord, for your word. That's so amazing that you would give us promises. You would give us assurances. You want us to live well, Lord, and we sense that. We know that. So help us to receive everything that you have for us so that we can live well. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So I thought today we would talk about Christmas tradition. So amen, amen. (laughs) Praise God. And uh, I think about this sometimes uh, during holiday times and where certain ideas came from and what they mean. And, uh, you know, the Bible talks about two, two veins of tradition. Uh, there is a tradition of men that makes the word of God of none effect. We know that and Jesus talked about that in the church uh, that was run by the religious uh, uh, leaders of the day. There was no room for faith. There was all works and all trying to do things. And, and once you get into that, you get into a competition with people. So the Pharisees thought they had more going on more than the Sadducees and so forth and so on. So there was always striving and competition there. So the traditions of men kind of leave a little nasty taste in our mouths when we think about it because there's not much good there. Amen. But in the traditions of men, you will sometimes find a nugget of truth, a nugget of something. God, just so much added to it. You know, you just can't find God in it sometimes, you know. And so uh, so you have that. So there are traditions of men. And then there's the word. And and God's tradition and what God says about Christmas and what he says about the birth of his son, Jesus. And so I thought we would talk some about that and see where some of our traditions come from, because what will happen during Christmas season is that when God sends his spirit, and I just believe God does this because you can see tangible evidence of it, um, whenever a holiday is proclaimed, God has to give permission for the celebration of that. He honors, the Bible says there are no powers that are, uh, the powers that be are of God. So when we elect people to offices, God upholds our choice because he sets those offices in place. So if we elect uh, presidents, we elect congresspeople, all of that, God secures their position of authority over the people until we meet the requirements, either vote them out, vote them in, or whatever we do, or you know, put a put a manhole in front of the house where get out. Whatever you, whatever your flavor, you know. I'm just messing with you, but you know what I'm saying. People come and they go, but God does uphold authority, and and this is what we need to understand about uh, the things that we desire, the things that we we how we pray for our leaders and so forth and so on. Uh, elected officials, their power is delegated to them by God. When when we elect people. God then gives them permission to rule and to reign. And so whenever we declare a holiday in the earth, that is an official declaration of how we're going to spend that day, and God must honor it. And so as many holidays as we can proclaim God being the author of, God will not only honor it, but he will take over in that holiday. And amen. And so when we declare Christmas, Being the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, God then sets in motion his reason for Christmas. 
he takes over and he makes it what he wants it to be because we've given him that permission because we've in- invited him in. See, Jesus is not a president. He ain't a dead president. Amen. He's not a, 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 a Fourth of July firecracker. He's God. And so, amen. So when we declare Jesus' birthday, then God gets it. Oh, I tell y'all how I wanted this. I'll run this whole celebration down here. And I'll tell you how I want it run. And so then God gets involved by sending his spirit to do what Jesus would want to have done on his birthday. Amen. Amen. So that's he takes over. You know, and you'll hear all kind of weird comments about uh I'll see people put little nasty things on the Internet about it's Jesus's birthday. What you going to get him? I'm going to cast the devil out of you. Is what I'm gonna, and that'll bless him real good. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't live for God every day. You understand what I'm saying? And so they'll they'll want to go in there. See, this is all an excuse to be cheap. See, that's what they want to do. If there's anybody who can sniff out cheap with not much effort, it's me. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm an expert on sniffing out them cheap brothers. You know, and I know when they're going down cheap street, I say, oh, don't you turn down there. No cheap. <laughs> Just the wheel right out their hands. Female trick number 200. And, did you hear that, little Howard? I heard you say amen. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. So when Jesus, when God hears that we want to honor him, he takes over. He takes over. And so when God starts to get involved in traditions, it's kind of interesting. I don't care how it starts out. He will turn the, the wheel of that steer, start steering that, that holiday in the direction of honoring him in the way he wants to be honored. Christmas then becomes a time of mixed purpose and tradition. So on the one hand, we have the God of Mammon trying to get control over it. And and really, the God of Mammon would like that we don't celebrate at all. You know, the devil doesn't want you to acknowledge God even in a small way. And I want us to stay on the right side of Christmas and honoring God the way he wants to be honored and celebrate Christmas because it is a celebration and to not let our minds be poisoned by these antichrist, uh, you know, because the first thing they'll say is too commercial. Well, go to church. Amen. <laughs> That'll take the commercial right out of it. Just go to church and worship God on his birthday and you won't be so commercial. But don't, I don't know. <laughs> Don't take me down Cheap Street. Don't you dare go down that seat. I can smell them trying to go down Cheap. See? And so what we do is we honor in, in the specific way that, that commemorates the birth of Christ. So, so we're going to talk about how we do that and uh, scriptures related to the birth of the Lord, how we commemorate him. In Isaiah 9, <clears throat> chapter 9 and verse 6. He says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. So Jesus runs everything. Amen. He runs everything. Now, he's given man lordship over the earth, but we know the devil stole that. 
So God is returning lordship for his kingdom to man, you know, with in Jesus Christ. So whenever we do the works of God, his kingdom is manifesting. And you guys prayed for people yesterday. That was a manifestation of God's kingdom. Amen. When you speak, when you utter those words and honoring God, reverencing, reverencing him, that is the manifestation of his kingdom. He brings his kingdom right now. He sits and he rules and he reigns in that space. And so he wants to rule and reign the whole earth. That's why he's always giving us the liberty of sharing his love and sharing his word with others. It says the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful. It's amazing the things that we say about God. We, we speak these words about him, don't we? Awesome, wonderful, amen? He's counselor, the mighty God. Counselor and advocate are the similar words, amen? Uh, Jesus Christ being our high priest and our advocate or our counselor, the Holy Spirit then being our comforter and counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And so when God begins to govern, rule, and reign, when we declare Christmas, God begins to stir people up with his spirit when he decides to. So this is the thing. You know how people are always complaining. You know, you you go in the store, and this is how we first know What's going on season wise? You go in the store and it used to be right after Thanksgiving was the start of the, the holiday season. You start seeing the Christmas stuff sitting out. It's moving closer and closer now to the whole year. Cause I noticed like right after Halloween, when they take that jug down, you, you could tell by marks and they ain't Christian. See, God will make everybody cooperate with him. <laughs> but what I believe you can, you can, you can, like Jesus says, you, you can tell, tell the seasons and the weather. You know, if you look at the sky and it's this, you can tell the, you know, it's going to be a storm or cloud. He said, you can tell those signs, but can you tell the signs of the times that you live in spiritually speaking? And I believe that the more they compress Christmas into the whole year, the sooner it'll be to the Lord's return. Now, that's just me. You understand? Just because of the spirit that God releases during Christmas time, like, you know, Jackie and Mara wanted to put their trees up. When was it? Summer? When did you put your tree up? Where's Jackie? She's not here. Yeah, she, you know, they put their trees up. Oh, she's out in the kitchen. When did you put your tree up, sweetie? Week before Thanksgiving. Couldn't wait. See? Couldn't wait. Mara put hers up early. See? And, and, and I couldn't say, don't do it. You know? I mean, who about us? I said, hey, go ahead and celebrate. Have a party. It seemed a little strange to me because I don't want to go dig mine out. You know what? You get convicted because I want to dig out all my old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was with the first time I, I Becky does our tree pretty much by herself now because she she just has her ideas about it looking nice, you know. So I, I use a mine is just get it up there, get it up. 
So the first time she was digging through our ornament box, I said, well, it's meaningful to me. You know, like an old golf ball ornament and all this old crazy. Well, it has meaning to me. I don't know what it is, but it is meaning. You know, you don't want to part with anything because if your memories are what you cherish, you know, many times when, when you have these celebrations. So your traditions then would be about what God releases in the earth, and he releases the spirit of his son. And there is wonder, you know, you'll hear things like the magic of Christmas or the Christmas wonderment. There's traditions like every year it's it's Miracle on 34th Street and it's a wonderful life. You know, if we could ever. Oh, Lord. (laughs) And Hallmark has all their Christmas things on there, you know, that kind of stuff. So these are, are things that we look forward to, and I think you look forward to them because there's a spirit released during this time that is very engaging, and it's inviting to other people, no matter what their religion. You understand? What? So we're the only, as Christianity really is the only religion that invites others in. You don't have to be a Christian really to enjoy it, and we don't try to take it away from people. I remember uh years ago, there was some little uh, guy that worked with Shannon. This was when I lived in Detroit. And he said, I am a Muslim. I am a Christian also. He was a Christian because he liked Christmas. Huh? He did. Yeah. And, and so he he enjoyed Christmas. We couldn't take it from him. He didn't take it. We said, well, you know, just because you claim to be a Muslim, we ain't going to let you have Christmas. It don't belong to us to take from anybody. So... He liked he liked Chris, Christianity because we had presents at Christmas. I like the gifts. <laughs> he loved the gifts. <laughs> so in Isaiah, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And that's what you sense when people start celebrating early is the increase of his government. Amen. Because he's going to take over the whole thing year round. He wants people to love him, think about him, honor him, and want to serve him. He says he will establish it with justice, with judgment, henceforth, now and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. So then there, there is released a zeal to do good, man, a zeal to celebrate, a zeal to do things in remembrance of God, to do good, to bring peace. That's the overriding spirit, I believe, is that of peace, and then the spirit of joy, of rejoicing. Amen? So really, man was bankrupt spiritually, morally, and physically. So only a gift to man can take care of this. So when they talk about unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Amen. So when you see given, the idea of the gift is is uh, introduced into the Christmas celebration. Amen. So a gift really is is something that's given to someone without the expectation of payment. And what can we give in exchange? I mean, the the little that we do for God, and we all should do more. I could do more. You could do more. We all could do more. Give ourselves over and make more, ourselves more available to God. These things are given freely. He was given freely to humanity. We didn't need a loan so we, cause we cannot repay what God does for us. What we needed 
it would take only a gift would do. You understand what only a gift will do. So there are occasions when only a gift is appropriate. And Christmas is that time. Many times we're so caught up. I know sometimes I'll get gifts and I'll sit them and pile them up and forget to look at them because I'm caught up in the giving aspect of it, even though there is grace to receive, you know. But but the the gift, the giving thing kind of drives you. You understand? If if that's not the zeal that's in your heart, you're missing really the greater aspect of Christmas. See, Christmas tries to get stolen from us in a lot of ways. When I was growing up as a kid, you worried about whether or not there would be money for everything. You understand what I'm saying? And so when poverty and lack kind of drive your life, then Christmas gets to be depressing to you. It gets You don't look forward to you dread it, you know. And that's just the enemy trying to steal from us the spirit that God releases during that time. Because you can enjoy Christmas whether you have lots or, you know, whether you have nothing. I can remember times thinking, man, I should leave town. I got to buy all these gifts. (laughs) And poverty, when it drives your mentality, it's worth carrying that over even into our adult lives and on our Christian lives. Amen. And so God doesn't want want that to be a burden. You know, the devil steals during this time greatly. I, I look at sometimes people when their house was broken into all the toys. I said, who on earth would steal during Christmas time? You know, nothing but the devil. Huh? Go <laughs> Howard. Find Mr. Grinch for me. Jeremy one, Mr. Grinch. Huh? He just, he ain't no good, you know. And, and uh, we were plagued with that when I was younger. You know, there were four of us, and my parents were from the South, and, you know, my dad drank. There's a lot of pressure on people when you come from one area to another. You migrate so that things get better for you. And, uh, you know, I had to minister to someone this year about, you know, lack during Christmas. I said, you're not the only one. It hits everybody. I said, I don't know of a person alive that that has not had the experience of lack of some kind during this time of year. And there's no reason for it because there's such an abundance of God's joy and his spirit and his goodness and and his pleasure during this time that there's no reason for us to experience lack. Mankind needed redemption, salvation, deliverance, and other ministry to our souls. That's what we really need. And that's what the celebrations surrounding Christmas should entail. They should entail the greater gift, gifts of redemption, of salvation, deliverance, reassurance, and peace. Joy is a medicine, and we can we can pass that medicine out during Christmas as well. Man also needed reconciliation to God, so the cancellation of debt. Is a, an important thing during Christmas time. You remember? You got it yet? <laughs> okay, we'll get at the end of the thing probably. Remember the story, a Christmas Carol, the story of, of Scrooge. You know, and and it's, it's so good when when people authors will write things down so that we can share. We understand the life of of 19th century England at that time. We understand what life was like. And we understand how 
people who had plenty, if they weren't in a mind to share, even at Christmas time, uh, you know, could be there. The really, really the, the, uh, gist of the story of Scrooge was that those of you who look at people who have lots and are stingy with it, don't think they don't get theirs because Scrooge certainly got his, didn't he? Amen. And so, so that was the nice thing about that. So it was a, a thing to cheer people up at Christmas time. Yeah, them people, they got it so good as they like to have it. But Scrooge, you know, he made poor, um, poor time was Tiny Tim's daddy. What was his name? The, the Bob Cratchit, yeah, he made Bob work late on Christmas, poor little Tiny Tim with his little crutch was walking around. Eddie, Tiny Tim had Eddie under his arm, all that stuff. And and uh, the, he had a vision of him dying and all the people rejoicing. Why? Because their debts were canceled. Everybody in the town owed him money, amen? So the idea of debt cancellation is important during Christmas. Amen. So when we talk about bringing peace, goodwill, all of those things, then we're talking about cancellation of debt. Amen. Not just monetary debt, but debts that we owe one another, you know, offenses. If somebody did something or said something to you that was offensive to you and you carry that around all year long, Christmas is the time to release that. I can remember when we would have, sometimes we would have people that, uh, you know, uh, kind of promised to pay. You know, we would have our trips. We didn't, couldn't raise enough money for love funds to pay for everybody. And so we would say, well, you know, if you get it later, go ahead. And, you know, the ministry paid those things off. And so the Lord told me, he said, I don't want you carrying debt beyond the end of the year. He said, you cancel those debts if people haven't been able to pay them and just make it a gift. You know what I'm saying? And so we we had a policy of doing that. And I noticed that when we start doing that, miraculously, everybody got their money. You know what I'm saying? So so when you do your part, God will honor and, and you can release people from poverty by showing some mercy in that way and, and letting them understand that their debts are forgiven. Amen. I can remember people, uh, uh, I, it was an old tradition. It must have been in, in where, with, with Southern people where my parents came from because around Christmas and New Year's, people that you hadn't heard from in years would always call you or get in touch with you and kind of make peace or something. You know, I don't know why I didn't call you all year long, but, you know, here I am kind of thing. I think as believers, we need to seek forgiveness from one another. You know what I'm saying? And so before the year is over, if there's anybody you think that has something against you, I'm not talking about you against somebody, you know, because some people, some people like nothing, you know, you know what I'm saying, that kind of stuff. But, but if you feel a tension between you and another person, you know, all of these things are misunderstandings, folks. Nobody's hating you. Nobody wants to see you. Lack and nobody's rejoicing when you have a bad time. That's not that kind of thing. But the devil can make you think it's that bad, amen, if you let it fester. So it's good to release all animosity, all whatever it is. And, you know, sometimes you need to go to people and tell them, you know, I'm sorry I haven't been as close to you this year, you know, whatever, whatever. But don't think it's because it's personal. You know, I'm just what, whatever, whatever. But you know, let us be friends and let us have a nice Christmas and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it's good for reconciliation purposes to carry that with you all of the 
time. In Luke chapter one, you see the promise of reconciliation and the promise to God's people. And this is Zacharias's prophecy. It's good when you when you're healed to the first words that come out your mouth are from God. (laughs) He was so glad to have his tongue back. (laughs) But when God loosed it, he he what we the Bible refers to as Zacharias's song. You know, prophecies were 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 called songs many times. Uh, he says <clears throat> in Luke one sixty eight, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, "Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people." And I believe that happens every Christmas. God visits us with His Spirit, and He He releases. Uh, thoughts of redemption. There's a peace where you, you're not brooding about trouble anymore. You're not, now the devil will fight you for this, you know, and he'll fight you with, with public words that are spoken that you, you know, if you've had a loss and who hasn't, uh, you've had a death in the family and, and who hasn't, you've had a, a, a an estrangement in a relationship, you're going to get depressed during Christmas because that's the time. Well, you know, now that you mentioned it, I was in a good mood till you said something. I don't spend my Christmases moping around and, you know, going going through old photo albums and that kind of stuff. I found an old picture of me. I was, I was, uh, my husband, this was was a very slip of a girl. Uh, But anyway, we were, we were in the Bahamas and I had on some of those little, shorts and Rachel was so upset she wrote a notice that not my baba <laughs> I mean she put on big cardboard I got a picture of it on my phone not my baba uh, I don't go through them old photos looking for you know when they have throwback Thursday I can barely find anything I don't want to look at all that old stuff you know when I I know didn't we have enough sense to wear enough clothes and let people take pictures of it. Come on now. <laughs> and that was a lot. Well, I ain't going to say that. <laughs> Just skip that. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who have visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet. So there's prophecy fulfilled during Christmas which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. And they had a lot of people against them, the nation of Israel and God's people, period. We've always had a lot of people against us, that we should be saved from our enemies and the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. So God remembers his people during Christmas. Amen. He will make sure if if your desire is to have money for gifts, he'll make sure you get it. He's proven that to us over the years. Amen. <clears throat> to perform the mercy and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. So this is the thing. It's just like you guys were able to go over and pray for those people yesterday without fear. You would just walk into a place and serve God. 
<clears throat> in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. Go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Amen. It's always how salvation comes. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day star from on high has visited us. He give light to them that sit in darkness. Amen. There are people who are waiting for a kind word. They're waiting for God to show up. They're languishing, waiting, hoping for something to come into their lives to change them. And that's us. We bring that during Christmas. Amen. Amen. To sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Amen. And so he brings peace. He brings light. He brings hope, brings comfort. All of that is wrapped up in the what we call the Christmas spirit. You know, remember people say, well, they don't have any Christmas spirit. We used to talk about that a, a lot. I can remember that when I said, and I would say, what's Christmas spirit? You know, and then you would sit and see somebody depressed and worried about having enough money to buy their children gifts. And I said, that's what they need. They need Christmas spirit. It'll change things when you have the right spirit about things. In Luke two fourteen, we see what the angels announced. And he says, Verse 11, they, they reiterate the prophecy in Isaiah 9. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, living in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So there is a an overriding spirit of goodwill, which means that you want to do good. It's hard to think evil during this time. You know, you're going to have to really fight God to come up with something, you know, because everywhere you go, when you would get depressed or discouraged or or get mad because of something in your life, then God will send somebody to you. They'll be, well, we're having a Christmas party. Come on over. You know, we have a potluck. Oh, Lord, no death in the pot. Let me pray over everything. And do what you got to do, but join in. You understand what I'm saying? Participate. I know that food is bad. The minute they say potluck, the hair stands up on the back of my neck. I say, oh, just luck itself. And then death in the pot, and I got to get lucky and not die tonight. Are you kidding me? Come on now. That ain't no way to celebrate. You know, but somebody did their best. You know, got a recipe out. I say, (laughs) for the first time all year. You know, this ain't time for tryouts. Come on now. Let's, Let's get the professional cooks up here. Huh? <laughs> you know, you be praying for the professionals to show up and the rookies come to the party. You know, but you enjoy it anyway. You kind of look sideways at it and just shield your plate and go and hope you can find some. If you don't find number salad, huh? Have the salad. Enjoy the celebration. <laughs> but live to see another day. So, <laughs> but it's the spirit of things. That you're there for. It's not so much the food. Be nice if the food was cool. Huh? But it's not not so much the food. 
that we're there for. It's it's to join in and enjoy what other people are enjoying. And so it's good that God does that. And it seems like he'll do it right in the nick of time, you know. Always somebody that, that uh, I was thinking about you today, have a Merry Christmas or something like that, and say, hey, God, you thought about me. You know, how nice. And it puts you in a better mood, you know. It was uh, known that uh, Christians during the 19th century would go and, and uh, just in the marketplace would stand and greet people and say, have a Merry Christmas. And they would stand and chat with people until they brought them back into the spirit. If they saw somebody look discouraged or look depressed or put their head down or something, they would go up to them. And it was the ministry. The Christmas ministry was very, very important. So the angels announced that there would be peace on the earth, goodwill. Nobody's got anything against you. Goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that the angels were gone their way from them into the heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let's go and see this thing. Amen. So they wanted to experience the joy and the peace that the angels announced. In Second Corinthians 5.18, reconciliation is extremely important to God. And he sends a spirit to make reconciliation possible, uh, make it happen, and make it real. I was reading, um, I always read my uh, Rejoice Marriage as much as I can. I don't read them every day, but I read the testimonies of uh, Rejoice uh, Marriage, the Marriage Reconciliation website and ministry. And it's amazing to me how many men and women will, hearts will be softened during Christmas time and they'll long to see their families, even their estranged families. Amen. Even when they shacked up with somebody else, they'll want, they'll desire to see their families. And isn't that what God said he would do? Turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children. Amen. And, and bring those families back together again. But in Second Corinthians 5, 18, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So he's cleared the debts off the table. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, God first reconciles us to him. This is a problem sometimes with relationships. They're not under God the way they're supposed to be. That's why we have trouble. And so once we are reconciled to God, that means there's a clear path between us and him. No more barriers, no more hurdles, no more shame, no more fear, no more guilt, animosity, whatever it was that kept us unworthiness, all of that. It's kept us out of the presence of God. It's been done away with by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So first he's at work in Christ, reconciling us to himself. And then it says here, he's reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. And he says to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. When we see songs like joy to the world, you know, that kind of stuff, it's it's saying that everybody's invited. Amen. The Christmas celebration is for all people. Amen. Whether you're a Christian or not, when you're a Christian, don't get possessive over these holidays. You know, you know, I know people, <laughs> people used to call people come to church only on Easter, Easter lilies. If you come to church only on Christmas poinsettias, I said, thank God for them holidays or else they would never show up. You understand what I'm saying? They do. They just, you know, 
that people are just mean, you know, especially in pew buyers, you know, like so they took up all the room in the church. I come here all the time. They just here this one day. Well, you need to be willing to give up your seat for somebody only comes one. Amen. So we have a ministry of reconciliation and it's very prominent during Christmas. Amen. So the reconciliation goal is to know, owe no man anything but to love him. Amen. And so and, and love is, is something that flows from the spirit of God. The spirit of Christ will cause men to be tender hearted one toward another. Amen. Sometimes, you know, people you even have you know, the, uh, telemarketers, they even don't call you and bug you and the, uh, People that found your old cable bill or your old uh, cell phone bill from 15 years ago. You know how they keep trying to collect on them. Things that's expired already. And you can't talk them out of collecting. Well, I got a receipt for it. Oh, well, we have in our records. and They even stopped calling. Amen. For at least for a little bit. <laughs> so men are willing to give and forgive. And that's reconciliation. Amen. You don't owe me anything. I love you. Listen, I'm human just like you are. You had a bad day. I had a bad day. If you can keep from having a bad day, it's a blessing, but we all have them. Amen. And so we all forgive. And, and uh, you know, don't think for one minute that that uh, you're not going to be offended. You know, it's just going to happen. That We all uh, have iniquity in us, and we live in a flesh body. And so, you know, you can offend people without even trying to. You just look like somebody they don't like. <laughs> oh, I didn't like my auntie used to say that to me all the time. Emerson, <laughs> you didn't listen to her either, so shut up. <laughs> Amen. So in, in Psalms 133, and this is God's goal, to have the pleasantry and the oil of God flowing from one person to another. And David says here, behold, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in unity together. And that unity being the bond of peace, not just hanging around. Amen. And and not like a gang. (laughs) This is the brethren to dwell in unity. So it really does begin with the church and it radiates out to the rest of the world. And so he says here, it's just like the the oil. That the precious ointment, so it's precious, there's a precious spirit that's released through the spirit of peace and in unity and reconciliation. He says the oil that ran upon the hand, started upon the head and ran down Aaron's beard. So it covers the whole of humanity. Amen. It covers, so it's like having a nice hot warm oil bath. Amen. Like Esther who was uh, had the finest of perfumes and spices and all of that when they said she was purified for that whole year what they did was they they more than likely mixed us a, a group of fragrances a perfume that was just for her say it's called esther you know and so uh, that was something that spoke of her that that smelled good on her that was her signature fragrance and so uh you know and all, of course the other uh um uh, uh, purification things to make her skin beautiful, to make her physically beautiful, but also there was an aroma that she exuded when, when the king was around her that was very pleasant to him. And so this is what we have. We are uh, a sweet savor of Christ. Amen. And we make known his fragrance everywhere that we go. So we have a, we have a fragrance that's named after us, <laughs> you know, uh, Christian 
Pastor Shirley, Christian Nola, Christian Avis, Christian, you know, whatever, our Christian fragrance that we exude uh, comes comes with our signature on it. I think there is a presence that we all carry that is uniquely us. It is of Christ, but it's uniquely us. You know what I'm saying? So I believe God does that for us. That's me. So he helps the earth by releasing his spirit in unrestrained measure. So he celebrates with us. The world, that is those who don't know God, want to reclaim the holy day. But because God has sanctioned it, it abides in his house and his care forever. And so Christmas is of God. God has ordained Christmas. So you need to ask yourself, what will be my tradition? Amen. What is it that I will do consistently to celebrate the Lord's birth? And I think there are some things that we can do that don't cost anything. So I stole this off somebody on the Internet. But anyway, I liked it. It says, the <laughs> whatever, the free preachers do that all the time. We do a lot. We do more stealing than we do anything else. We make it ours. But the free gifts of Christmas, and this, it was a little little teaching a woman did that these things don't cost you anything. One is to say, I love you. Amen. To say, I forgive you. These are things you have to give. They may cost you a little bit in your humble yourself to do these. To say, I forgive you. Or to say, please forgive me. To say, I'm sorry. To say, do you need anything? To say, I miss you. To say, I'm just thinking about you. To say, you look nice today. Not that you don't look like the mother time. You know, you, you get a little trouble with some of these, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> or you hit like on that same selfie they keep sending around. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> to say God bless you. To say have a blessed day or be blessed. Amen. So it's it's good to have those things that don't cost anything. I did find some notes on the origins of Christmas. I'm going to go through as many as I can. Well, Howard, how much time do I have? Oh, 35. Oh, my. I can do a lot with that. Don't tell me that. Did you find my friend? Let me hear it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be this guy. <laughs> don't don't like the song. <laughs> you don't have him for me. All right. Well, then I'm going to go ahead and read my uh, Christmas traditions. Okay. So the origins of Christmas. We believe that Christ. The, the word Christmas means Mass of Christ. Okay. So Mass was always a religious in the Catholic Church. Religious. A celebration of something. They have masses for everything. So he said, it is believed that Christ was born on the 25th, although the exact month is unknown. December was likely chosen so the Catholic Church could compete with rival pagan rituals. Now, this was common in early Christianity to just wherever heathens were celebrating, they did the counter celebration for Christians. You got me? So <laughs> this is something, the one thing that seems to work. Now, some of them are so bad, you know, like, I don't think you do any good if if Halloween is not your thing, you're Christian for your children. I don't think you any do any good having a harvest 
celebration where you do the same thing. You dress up with the same, by the same stupid costumes or just skip it. Say, we don't celebrate Halloween. Don't bring that stuff in here. I don't want it in here. And that's, that's how you do that thing. You know, it's easier said than done, but parents, God's with you. Stick with it. <laughs> so it says here, it's, it's very close. Uh, in the time of year. Now we have that thing that we still have it in the bottom of the prayer manual with all the pagan holidays on there that you can see that there, some of them are very close in date to some of our, our Christian holidays. So it was, that was a time of the winter solstice. And so that's why the Catholic church or the church that the Christian church at that time, I won't call it the Catholic church because there were uh, just Christian churches. But they're, uh, they were instituting those so that people would not uh, celebrate and uh, go in with the pagans. So it was always kind of a mixed. You had your believers and your non-believers mixed in it because if they're already cel- celebrating to a Roman god and you come and stick Jesus on top of that, you're going to get some mixture. And so that mixture exists to today. Now, don't. Don't think for one minute that God is scared of mixture because he'll manifest himself anyway. He's the greater one. He ain't scared of competition. He don't care what they do on the long side. Of, you know, you just you just do Jesus. You got me? You know what you're there for. Uh, Santa Claus. The origin of Santa Claus begins with the fourth century with St. Nicholas. He was Bishop of Mira. So he was a Catholic bishop. An era in present day Turkey. By all accounts, St. Nicholas was a generous man, particularly devoted to children. After his death around 340 AD, he was buried in, in Mira, but in 1087, Italian soldiers purportedly stole his remains and removed them to bury Italy, greatly increasing St. Nicholas's popularity throughout Europe. So I guess all you got to do is steal somebody's body and everybody's interested in them then, the thought. His kindness and reputation for generosity gave rise to the claims that he would perform miracles and devotion to him increased. St. Nicholas became the patron saint of Russia, where he was known by his red cape, flowing white beard, and bishop's mitre. So the the hat that he wore (laughs) kind of changed a little bit. Because if you're wearing that Miter on your head, you can't get down a chimney too cool. So, <laughs> get you a cap, brother. Let's just get you get you a hoodie and go on down there. In Greece, he is a patron saint of sailors. In France, he was a patron saint of lawyers. In Belgium, the patron of children and travelers. Thousands of churches across Europe were dedicated to him, and sometime around the 12th century. An official church holiday was created in his honor. The Feast of St. Nicholas was celebrated December 6th, and the day was marked by gift-giving and charity. After the Reformation, European followers of St. Nicholas dwindled, but the legend was kept alive in Holland, where Dutch, uh, the Dutch spelling of his name what changed to, from uh, St. Nicholas to what we know now as Santa Claus. <laughs> And so the children, Dutch children would leave their wooden shoes by the fireplace and center class would reward good children by placing treats in their shoes. Uh, Leave mine on the side. (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm just saying. 
know, put a liner in there. The, the colonists, the colonists brought this tradition with them to America in the 17th century where the Anglican name of Santa Claus emerged. In 1822, Clement Seymour composed the poem, A Visit from St. Nick. That's from, that's, it's an old poem, 1822, published as the night before Christmas as a gift for his children. And in it, he portrays Santa Claus. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. (laughs) He was chubby and plump and jolly. A jolly old elf and laughed, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. The other countries uh, featured different gift bearers for the Christmas or Advent season. Uh, La Bifana in Italy, the three kings in Spain, Puerto Rico and Mexico, Chris Kendall or the uh, Christ child in Switzerland and Austria, Father Christmas in England. Père Noël in uh, France steal the figure of Santa Claus as a jolly, benevolent, plump man in a red suit described in Moore's poem remains with us today and is recognized by children and adults alike the world over. So it's amazing sometimes uh, children uh, that find out that he is a fictitious character, how upset they are. Amen. Because I think it does kind of steal something away from them in a way, you know, so that spirit that they carry with that love for the things of Christmas kind of diminishes when truth comes in. It's amazing. Christmas trees. In 16th century Germany, fir trees were decorated indoors and out with apples, roses, gilded candles, and colored paper. In the Middle Ages, a popular religious play depicted the story of Adam and Eve's expulsion from the Garden of Eden. So there's your biblical tie to the story of the Christmas tree. A fir tree hung with apples was used to symbolize the Garden of Eden, the paradise tree. The play ended with the prophecy of a savior coming and so was often performed during the Advent season. It is held that Protestant reformer Martin Luther first adorned trees with light. While coming home one December evening, the beauty of the stars shining through the branches of a fir tree inspired him to recreate the effect by placing candles on branches of a small fir tree inside his home. The Christmas tree was brought to England by Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, from his native Germany. The famous uh, illustrated news etching in 1848 features a picture of the royal family of Victoria, Albert, and their children gathered around a Christmas tree in Windsor Castle, popularized the tree throughout Victorian England, it was brought to America by the Pennsylvania Germans. The Christmas tree became uh, by the late 19th century. Focus on Christmas traditions. Okay, we'll do the Christmas stocking. According to legend, a kindly nobleman grew despondent over the death of his beloved wife and foolishly squandered his fortune. This left his three young daughters without dowries, thus facing a life of spinsterhood. The generous St. Nicholas, hearing of the girl's plight, Let's see. Have faith in God. (laughs) Set forth to help. (laughs) Wishing to remain anonymous, he rode his white horse by the nobleman's house and threw three small pouches of gold coins down the chimney where they uh, fortuitously, they were captured by the stockings 
that the young women had hung by the fireplace to dry. It's good to do your laundry on Christmas Eve. <laughs> so they got their dowry and everybody lived happily ever after. Amen. So we don't we don't know if that's true or not, but it's a good story. Mistletoe. Mistletoe was used by Druid priests. See, here's the pagan concept of it. Years before the birth of Christ in their winter celebrations. They revered the plant since it had no roots, yet remained green during the cold months of winter. That's amazing. The ancient Celtics believed mistletoe to have magical healing powers and used it as an antidote for poison, infertility, and to ward off evil spirits. The plant was also seen as a symbol of peace, and it is said that among that among Romans, enemies who met under the mistletoe would lay down their weapons and embrace. Amen. So there's the idea of peace, reconciliation. Uh, Scandinavians associated the plant with Frigga, their goddess of love, and it may be from this that we derive the custom of kissing under the mistletoe. So there's the concept of peace, love, amen. Those who kissed under the mistletoe had the promise of happiness and good luck in the following year. So it had significance for them. Holly, ivy, and greenery. In Northern Europe, Christmas occurred during the middle of winter when ghosts and demons would be heard howling in the winter wind. Boughs of holly, believed to have magical power since they remain green throughout the harsh winter, were often placed over the doors of homes to drive evil away. Greenery was also brought indoors to freshen the air and brighten the mood during the long, dreary winter. Legend also has it that holly sprang from the footsteps of Christ as he walked the earth. The pointed leaves were said to represent the crown of thorns Christ wore while on the cross and the red berries symbolized the blood he shed. So, see, people will take anything and bring significance to it like that. I, I think it's, it's amazing that they were looking for the spirit of, a spirit to relieve them from the drudgery of winter or from, you know, bad uh, a bad future and so forth and so on. So, and God sends his spirit to do that. Isn't that the wonderful thing? So, and I believe his spirit is increasing in the earth. Cause if you think about some of the times when some of these traditions originated, it was a dark period in human history. We all know that the middle ages or what they call the dark ages where there were plagues and famines and a lot of bloodshed and, and uh, oppression of people were times when the gospel was not being preached. It wasn't really preached until Martin Luther, uh, you know, in the 1500s started the Protestant Reformation. Until then, the, any, any tradition or any information about God and the Bible was held by the monks and monasteries. So they copied the word. They did everything but preach the word because mm-hmm. of persecution. So mm-hmm. we find that out. Okay, point setters. A native Mexican plant, poinsettias were named after Joel R. Poinsettia, U.S. ambassador to Mexico who brought the plant to America in 1828. Poinsettias are likely used by Mexican Franciscans in their 17th century Christmas celebration. One legend has it that a young Mexican boy on his way to visit the village nativity scene realized he had no gift for the Christ child. He gathered pretty green branches from along the road and brought them to the church. 
Though the other children mocked him, when the leaves were laid at the manger, the beautiful star-shaped flower appeared on each branch. Red, bright red petals, often mistaken for flowers, are actually the upper leaves of the plant. <clears throat> okay, the candy cane. It was not long after Europeans began using Christmas trees that special decorations began to adorn them. Food items such as candies, cookies, were used predominantly, and, and straight white candy sticks were one of the confections used as ornamentation. Legend has it that during the 17th century, craftsmen created the white sticks of candy in the shape of shepherd's crooks at the suggestion of the choir master at the Cologne Cathedral in Germany. The candy treats were given to children to keep them quiet during ceremonies at the living creche the nativity or nativity scene and the custom of passing out candy crooks at such ceremonies soon, soon spread throughout Europe with your kid in sugar coma. Amen. According to the National Confectioners Association, 1847 German immigrant August Imgard used a candy cane to decorate a Christmas tree in Wooster, Ohio. Yay. <laughs> More than 50 years later, Bob McCormick of Albany, Georgia, supposedly made candy canes as treats for family, friends, and local shopkeepers. McCormick's brother-in-law, Catholic priest Gregory Keller, invented the machine in the 1950s that automated the production of candy canes, and so we see them now. It is said that the white color represents Christ's purity and the red, the blood he shed, the presence of three red stripes. How many have seen that candy cane? A lot of them, we just are red and white. But I remember when they all had three red stripes and one big one, right, it represents the Holy Trinity. Amen. While factual evidence of these traditions does not exist, they have become increasingly common at, and at times are even represented as fact. Regardless, the candy cane remains a favorite holiday treat and decoration. Christmas cards. A form of Christmas card began in England first when young boys practiced their writing skills by creating Christmas greetings for their parents. But it's Sir Henry Cole who is credited with creating the first real Christmas card. The first director of London's Victoria and Albert Museum, Sir Henry found himself too busy in the Christmas season of 1843 to compose individual greeting cards for his friends. So he commissioned artist John uh, Calcott Horsley for the illustration. The card featured three panels with a center panel depicting a family enjoying Christmas festivities. And the card was inscribed with the message, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. So out of necessity, being too busy to do individual cards, he had cards mass printed and it became a tradition. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> the Chicago-based Montgomery Ward Company department store operators had been purchasing and distributing children's coloring books as Christmas gifts for their customers for several years. In 1939, Montgomery Ward tapped one of their own employees to create a book for them, thus saving them money. 34-year-old copywriter Robert L. May wrote the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in 1939 and 2.4 million copies were handed out that year. That's a lot of copies back for that time. Despite the wartime paper shortage, over 6 million copies had been distributed by 1946. He drew in part on the story of the ugly duckling and in part from his own experience often as a taunted small 
frail youth to create the story of the misfit reindeer. Although Rolo and Reginald names, the names Rolo and Reginald were considered, he settled on Rudolph as his reindeer's name. Writing in verse as a series of rhyming couplets made tested the story as he went along on his four-year-old daughter, Barbara, who loved the story. Sadly, Robert May's wife during the time when died during the time he was creating Rudolph, leaving Mays deeply in debt to her medical bills. However, he was able to persuade Sewell Avery, Montgomery Ward's corporate president, to turn the copyright over to him in January 1947, thus ensuring his financial security. May's story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, was printed commercially in 1947 and 48. A nine-minute cartoon of the story was shown in theaters when May's brother-in-law, songwriter Johnny Marks, wrote the lyrics and melody for the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Rudolph phenomenon was born. Turned down by many musical artists afraid to contend with the legend of Santa Claus. (laughs) Here's your worldly competition again. The song was recorded by, guess who, anybody that old to remember who sang that Rudolph the Red? No, Gene Autry. Remember Gene? Yeah, Gene Autry, the legendary cowboy. Yeah, at the urging of Autry's wife, the song sold two million copies that year. That's a lot of copies. I'm trying to think what they, but they had wax during that time, didn't they? The LP 78 LPs they had maybe. Yeah, two million copies that year, going on to become one of the best selling selling songs of all time, second only to guess what? White Christmas. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Come home for Christmas. <laughs> I don't think we have any Elvis Christmas, do we? Yeah, I know he sings Christmas songs, but anyway. It's second only to Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Amen. 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 In 1964, a television special about Rudolph, narrated by Burl Ives, remains a holiday favorite to this day. Amen. Amen. So, amen. Yay. <laughs> Praise God. Um, so that's that for that. I'm going to give you a little something about uh, whether we should say Xmas or Christmas, what the origin of that is. is Christmas is also sometimes known as Xmas, X-M-A-S. Some people don't think it's correct to call Christmas Xmas and as that it takes Christ out of Christmas. As Christmas comes from Christ's Mass, the church service that celebrated the birth of Jesus. But that's not quite right. In the Greek language and alphabet, the letter that looks like an X is actually the Greek letter. Anybody know Greek? You know what the X is? Greek. It's a letter Chi. Amen. The Chi is like an X. I have to do this for you so you'll see it. This is the Greek letter for and, and uh, Chi is is the first letter of the Greek word for Christ, Christos. The early church used the first two letters of Christos in the Greek alphabet, Chi and Rho to create a monogram or symbol to represent the name of Jesus. And that's that P with the, everybody seeing that P with the X down there. The symbol of a fish is sometimes used by Christians. You might see a fish sticker on a car, someone wearing a little fish badge. This comes from the time when the first Christians had to meet in secret. 
as the Romans wanted to kill them. This was before Emperor Constantine became a Christian. Jesus had said that he wanted to make his followers fishers of men. So the people started to use that symbol. Anybody know what that's called? Okay, it's an ichthus. Ichthus. <laughs> that's a Roman. See, well, you go from Greek to Roman letters. That's Latin. Ichthus is. When two Christians met, one person drew half of a fish and the, using, usually, often using their foot on the dust on the ground, and the other person drew the other half of the fish. They met in secret. The Greek word for fish is ichthus. Oh, that is a Greek word. There are five Greek letters in the word, so it can also make up a sentence of Christian belief. Um, I can't pronounce that, which in English means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. The second letter of these five letters is X for Christos. So Xmas can also mean Christmas, but it should be pronounced Christmas and not Xmas. Okay. Amen. So, yes. And now we know, and I think I got one more Christmas custom for you, and then we can pray, and we will have a Merry Christmas gift giving. Amen. I want to talk about gift giving a little bit, because that is the reason for Christmas. Williamsburg shopkeepers of the 18th century placed ads noting items appropriate for holiday gifts. But New Year's was as likely a time as December 25th for bestowing gifts. So they really didn't have like a time time. Cash tips, little books and sweets in small quantities were given by masters or parents to dependents, whether slaves, servants, apprentices or children. It seems to have worked in only one direction. So at one point, um, and I think this is more like what Christmas really is, because what can we give to the Lord? Amen. So he's given us everything. So they believed in in the lesser, I guess, being blessed by the greater. And so he says uh, gift giving traditions from several European countries also worked in this one way fashion. For example, say Nicholasville Christians wooden shoes, children's wooden shoes with fruit and candy in both old and new Amsterdam. You know, new Amsterdam is actually New York. Eventually, of course, stockings hung by the chimney with care replace wooden shoes. We must attribute it the exchange of gifts among equals and from dependents to superiors to good old American influences. Both 20th century affluence and diligent marketing has made it the norm for the last 50 years or so. So uh, it says here, Santa Claus, too is an American invention. Now, this man says uh, that Santa Claus was invented by Americans. We read something different. Um, But anyway, he says, from an amalgam of American, Dutch, and English traditions, partly the lean ascetic St. Nicholas is also related to the Bacchanalian Father Christmas. So here you see the the, uh, secular and the spiritual coming together to celebrate Christmas. Sometimes you'll see Father Christmas uh, on Christmas cards. You've seen him sometimes he's pouring out, you know, something to drink and all that. That's really a Roman depiction of, of Father Christmas. While many countries and ethnic groups have, <laughs> you want to, you don't want to be drunk on Christmas. You know, <clears throat> so while many other countries and ethnic groups have a Christmas time gift bringer, the right jolly old elf dressed in red and fur and driving a sleigh and reindeer sprang from the pen and imagination 
of U- New Yorker Clement Clark Moore. In his 1823 po- poem, A Vision from St. Nick, he created the new look for the Christmas gift giver. Cartoonist Thomas Nath completed the vision in his 18, 1860s drawings that still defined how we see Santa Claus. So it talks about, uh, let me see, there was one more I was going to share with you. Is it this one? I wanted to talk about the Christmas carol. Let me see if I can find that real quick because that was a, here it is. All right. Why do carolers walk around the neighborhood singing? All right. So this, and this is one of the things that, that has been taken over more by the church and the religious bent. And it really started out more or less secular. The carolers have been known to travel on foot by truck or on horseback despite a recent reexamining of Caroling's political correctness, including one incident where carolers were banned from marching in a prominent parade in Denver. It remains a popular Christmas tradition. But how exactly did this begin? Who wrote the carols? Why do we feel compelled to sing them in the front porch of a total stranger's home? The root of the word carol lies not in song, but in dance. The In old French, carol means kind of dance. In Latin, chorala means a dance to a flute, and in the Greek, chorales means flute player who accompanies the choral dance. Although there were some carols centering around religion, the songs were originally secular, up-tempo melodies with alternating choruses and verses associated with traditional dances. Like many other Christmas traditions, caroling is also thought to have its root in, pre, in the pre-Christian celebration of the Festival of Yule, when Northern Europeans would come together to sing and dance to honor the winter solstice. So here it is again replacing a pagan uh, celebration. As cards and carols evolved into a Christian tradition, they became hymns, having little relation to a type of dance. And then uh, uh, we're going to talk history of caroling. There is no definitive history behind Christmas caroling. Where they originated, who wrote them, and how they evolved is unclear. Caroling is an oral tradition passed down from generation to generation. Carols commemorating the nativity or birth of Jesus Christ were purportedly first written in Latin in the 4th and 5th centuries, but they didn't become associated with Christmas until the 13th century. St. Francis of Assisi, the Roman Catholic saint of animals and the environment, is often credited with incorporating upbeat Latin hymns into Christmas services. The bass. <laughs> the energetic, joyful carols. <laughs> he added the bass. Uh, the energetic, joyful carols were sung in sharp contrast to the somber Christmas music of the day. So really, you have to go outside of the traditional church. Now, the church has its traditions that kind of want to kill Christmas. The concept of Christmas carols and spreading them to the community to celebrate Christ's birth is thought to have spread across Europe. Today, many caroling groups sing for charity in churches and neighborhoods. Some historical accounts claim this is rooted in feudal societies when poor citizens would sing for their supper in exchange for food or drink. Um, another theory is that carolers traveled door to door because they were not originally ar- allowed to perform in churches. 
Others say this idea didn't develop until the 16th century when Anglo-Saxon peasants adapted these pagan customs when they went wassailing, requesting nourishment from their superiors in exchange for singing good tidings. So you give them a happy song and they'll give you something to drink. Wassail was a thick, hot spice beverage that helped keep the traveling well-wishers warm. In its heyday, the drink was just as much of a holiday tradition as eggnog is in modern times. As wassailing evolved, the children often went door to door. It became more associated with Christmas caroling. Oliver Cromwell banned Christmas celebrations in England from 1649 to 1660. He believed Christmas should be a serious holiday and celebrated accordingly. I guess he is in a bad mood. Caroling did not experience, see, that was during the end of the Dark Ages. Caroling did not experience a surge in population until 19th century. A common legend says that Christmas carols were named after Carol Poles, a little English girl who supposedly went missing in London during the holiday season in the late 19th century. There's no real evidence to say that that, that ever happened. It says, all right, so uh, iconic Christmas carols. Hundreds of Christmas carols have been penned over several centuries, but only a few have achieved legendary status. Status Here are a few, Silent Night, considered by some to be the most famous Christmas carol of all, has varying legends behind its origin. The most famous legend involves Austrian priest Joseph Moore, who composed a song with friend Franz Gerber on Christmas Eve, despite the fact that their church organ was broken. Silent Night, translated as Stila Nacht in Germany, was when in German was written in time of the church's midnight mass in a Bavarian town of, in Germany. While the details of the story are unclear, and some believe parts are embellished and altogether untrue, Moore and Gruber are credited with adapting Silent Night, originally a poem written by Moore into the legendary Christmas carol. Twelve Days of Christmas. This carol has its roots in 18th century England as a memory and forfeit game sung by British children. One theory, however, believes that the carol was a catechism song for Catholics to learn the tenets of their faith. As they could not openly practice in Anglican society for a period of time, there is no substantive evidence that this was the case, nor is there any evidence that the verse uh, contains anything uniquely Catholic. Now, some people believe that it was a song uh, given to children to help their memory, if they could remember all of the different. It was a test for them to see if they could remember all of the 12 days. So, O Tenenbaum, also known as O Christmas Tree, originated in Germany, perhaps in the 19th century. Its exact roots are unknown. Joy to the world. This carol is different from many in that it contains overt Christian imagery. And many carols don't really speak about Christ. They don't speak about them. They're just joyful songs. It says the lyrics originated in the Old Testament were published in Isaac Watt's 1719 translation of the song, a Psalms of David. O come all ye faithful. Englishman John Francis Wade is credited with the words and collaborated with John Reading to give him a melody and it was published about 1751. So those are all of your Christmas traditions, uh, whether they're, amen, real or imagined. Amen. Praise God. I'm glad you enjoy it. I enjoy the little historical things to help us understand, but the the, the whole concept, I think, uh, for us at Christmas is to just 
uh, participate with God. You know, enjoy the spirit. Don't fight the spirit of God uh, that comes to help us to accomplish his will and his work during Christmas time. You know, whether your Christmas 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 is fat or lean, you know what I'm saying? As far as your pocketbook is concerned, the spirit of God is here to help us with the important things. You know, there are things that don't cost anything like kind words coming out of yourself. Uh, bringing hope, peace, and reconciliation to people. So what is your tradition going to be? You know, you can add your traditions to what has already been handed down for us and just decide what you're going to do as you think that you don't want to miss an opportunity doing on Christmas. And, you know, I don't know if it's uh, making sure you spend some time prayer, some time Honoring God, if you pray with your family, do a little special prayer during Christmas, or you reach out to others during that time, I think it's a good idea to keep in mind that God's Spirit helps us to celebrate it the way God wants it celebrated. Amen. Bringing love, bringing joy, peace, reconciliation, goodwill, not mad at nobody, everything is forgiven, they bring the outlaws and the in-laws to the house during Christmas. You know, all that's good. And, you know, you'll have some memories and you'll have some fond things to think about in years to come where you've enjoyed the spirit of God as he comes into your life during this time. Amen. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have your word and your spirit. Amen. Praise God. That your word and your spirit do agree and that your spirit is here for us to enjoy, especially during this time. I thank you that people cannot wait to celebrate Christmas. There's something in the air. There's something of wonder, something of joy, something of amazement, something of goodness, something that we want to share that stirs us up to want to share with others. Father, whether it would be just to say Merry Christmas to somebody, uh, just to share some things or to give to somebody who has nothing, Lord. We thank you that we can do these things and we can be blessed, we can give, and we can receive during this time. And we thank you that none of us will be disappointed. We will not be looking to receive so much as we are looking to give. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. If anybody needs prayer. All right. Why don't we decree? I don't have Rona. And she don't have me. I can't get Rona. She can't get me. Thank you, Jesus. By your stripes, we are healed. Amen, amen, and amen again. It is so decreed.